Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast. This podcast series explores HR hot topics and challenges through conversations with relevant experts and real-life HR learning and OD professionals. The HR Uprising is about learning through collaboration and evidence-based action. We want colleagues to have the confidence and skills to rise up through their organizations by delivering real, lasting business value. Now, introducing your host, chartered psychologist, experienced change agent, entrepreneur, speaker, and coach, Lucinda Carney. Hi there, HR Uprisers. I hope you're doing really well. Welcome to the HR Uprising podcast, and this is Lucinda Carney speaking. I'm your host, and today's episode is all about how to build a successful team. And I'm looking at it, well, it could be you within a team, or it could be you as a a people professional helping a team to kick off and be successful. So what I want to cover in this podcast is the structure that I would use if I was working with a team just to do a simple kickoff. So maybe you've got a couple of hours or half a day if you're lucky, the sort of things that I would do which will set a team up for success. Or it could be an intervention that you would have to come in if there's a team that's having difficulties. So it's just, it's, it's really straightforward. But I think if you get certain things in place, the platform in place, then it can make a huge difference to a team. And giving those people who are within the team the tools and a few of the models that I'm going to share with you then that gives them the self-awareness that when the team gets into difficulties, they realise that it's completely normal because a lot of it comes down to conflict or fear of conflict. So what I want to cover in this podcast is I will give you a, a little overview of a structure that I would use and I'm going to go into a couple of models that you've probably heard of before uh, in a little bit of detail. So hopefully it'll be quite handy, maybe just a nice refresher for those of you who've used these or come across these before. Uh, the model I'm talking about is I will briefly run through the Tuckman model, which you might have heard of, forming, storming, norming, performing. And then I'm also going to run through Patrick Lencioni's dysfunctions of a team or five dysfunctions of a team. Thank you to Gail Dothry, who um, is one of our listeners and also one of our customers, because she actually suggested this topic. So I hope that you're pleased to hear this is um, actually taking shape, Gail. Um, Thank you for the suggestion. And if there are other people out there, it's been great, actually. I'm getting more and more suggestions coming through. So really appreciate that. Uh, Do let us know the sort of subjects you'd like us to work on. And as I say, I'll either try and research it myself if it's something that I understand and know a bit about, or I'll get an expert in to uh, do it for us, if not. Okay, so without further ado, let's think about what we're talking about here. So I'm imagining that I've been invited in to kick off a team project. And in an ideal world, I would be given the opportunity to run a half day session with a new or newish team. It is easier if it's a new team because uh, I guess you've got a green, you can set them off as they mean to go on. You can start things positively. And if I wanted to do that, I would very simply have the following in as my items that I would want covered. I would make sure that there's some sort of introduction or icebreaker that's lighthearted, a bit of fun. I would have something which is a personality tool. I would have the Tuckman model and Lencioni's dysfunctions, and then I'd give a little bit of time for some planning around the team ground rules and the team purpose, and I'll come into those. And if you have a whole day, then you can help them plan other things as well. So introductions and icebreakers, that can be as much or as little as you want. So 
It's important you get people talking to each other. I think something where you get a bit of humour, um, finding something two truths and a lie type of exercises. I've had a slide where you go around and do introductions with each other and you've got to share different facts about yourself or um, there's loads of icebreakers. You can Google icebreakers. Uh, I've also done activities where people have been in teams and they've got to communicate how to build a Lego lorry let's say without being able to see each other so they've had to communicate in different ways all things which bring out natural behaviors in each other so those are sort of things if you have plenty of time that there's luxury if not you can just keep it really simple and it's an icebreaker that takes five minutes so that i'll leave you to look at you can go and debrief icebreakers anywhere um, the same with personality tools but i'll just mention a few i'm actually planning to do an entire podcast on personality tools because i think it's useful to know which personality tool people like to use for different purposes. I'm a fan of personality tools in these circumstances when you're kicking off teams or training courses, let's say a management development program, uh, a team group, um, a team building exercise like this. And the reason I like them is that it's all about self-awareness and it's also not only understanding yourself it's realizing that other people are different from you and with that knowledge comes that other people have differences that could be strengths in the case of a team so we had that um the podcast before christmas which was with joe keeler from belbin belbin is a team building personality tool which you could use and actually it lends itself very much to something like project teams because you could identify that certain people are really good at starting things, certain people are natural leaders, certain people are great eye for detail. Almost certainly those are not all in the same person. It's, it's rare to have those particular traits certainly in one person. So with that, it's going to mean that there are natural tensions. So the person who wants to check the detail might not want to be rushed, but there's also going to be natural strengths because that person is going to be better and going to stop the team from making mistakes. So appreciating that not everybody in the team is the same is a very important starting point. And it sounds obvious, but it's key for um, people to realize that conflict might happen and it's natural and it's positive. And I'll illustrate that again when we talk to talk, talk about Tuckman and also Lencioni. So uh, ATL, now I've, I said Belbin, but I've also used um, SDI, I've used Insights, I've used Social Styles, I've used Prism. I have used um, Myers-Briggs and things like that. I don't think Myers-Briggs is very useful for team building because I think it's too complicated. My personal um, view is that the simple, simpler the better and the tools that have colours in them are quite easy because then they can become natural language. So someone might say, oh, that was a bit red, that, that uh, if someone's being a bit aggressive because most of the tools use red as the driver um, type methodology. Apologies to anyone listening who hates pigeonholing. I appreciate that it's not everyone's cup of tea. However, in this circumstance, actually pigeonholing is quite useful because people get their heads around it really quickly. They realise that that person is a certain colour and they are a different colour. That might mean that in certain circumstances they won't see eye to eye and that's fine. So that is the person, that's the whole purpose of it. Really for me, it's about understanding and appreciating differences, which is a great platform for building a successful team. I would then want to briefly run through the Tuckman model. So if you've come across that, I, I think most people have, it's been around donkey's years since the 60s, I think. Uh, so Bruce Tuckman talked about this model. It's about team development. It's about how we form a successful team. Um, or, a, or a performing team. And the interesting thing is, quite a lot of teams that you and I have been in probably are not that 
successful teams. They've been maybe groups or they've never got beyond a certain stage. So if you think back to a successful team that you were in, I'm thinking of one that I was in. It could be a sports team, actually, um, but you know, I'm thinking a work team. Well, the thing about that was everybody knew what everyone else was going to do. Everyone knew their role. People rubbed along. People were open. They were honest. Um, they would air grievances. They'd have a laugh. And things were, you know, there's synergy. People worked effectively together. Equally, I've been in other teams where there's been lots of, let's say, passive conflict, almost worse than actual conflict. I have been in teams where people have shouted at each other, uh, but where you've been with someone that there's clearly an issue, people dislike each other. And so they they just sit quietly and there's a sort of negative, covert uh, conflict in the room. And that's never going to go anywhere because there's no trust. So Tuckman's model talks about teams forming, storming, norming and performing. It says we have to go through those stages. And my view is it makes total sense that if we're aware of these stages, then people feel safer and more comfortable moving through them. So the starting of it is a forming. And that's where everyone's really polite, where we go in and no one's going to say that anything, anyone's done anything wrong. No one's going to expose themselves and say their real opinion. People play their cards quite close to their their chest. And so if they stay in that stage, they're not building trust because people are not sharing information and not sharing um, awareness about each other. And that's, again, why I quite like using a personality tool or some sort of icebreaker where people share and get to know each other. So once we've formed, hopefully we're going to move beyond that. So people become more familiar. They start to cautiously uh, trust each other. They start to be more of themselves as they work together. And we then go into a stage called storming. And it's very suitably named because storming is where conflict might arise, where people um, perhaps start to get on each other's nerves or they see each other's foibles and they just start to be normal. And where they have differences, there starts to be some conflict. Now, the problem is if that team is fearful of conflict or the team leader doesn't encourage each other to deal and address with that conflict and to open up, then they they never get beyond it. And that was the example I used earlier where I've sat in a team there's lots of passive aggression. So what we need to do is say it's absolutely normal and healthy to go through a storming phase. In fact, that is great because it means that we've moved on from forming. What we need to focus on is how we then get back into the norming stage. And the way to do that is to look at where people have strengths, get people into their roles. It's about making sure that everybody knows what they're there to do, make sure we've got a clear team purpose, individual purposes, and that the leader of the team encourages people to air their views and to seek to resolve differences. Doesn't mean you don't have them, but resolve them in a positive way for the team. If you then make it through that norming stage, you can then become much more effortlessly into performing, where there is a kind of a natural, almost unconscious way in which people can work together. So very simple model. You can explain it to people in five minutes. You don't really need to do an exercise on it. The main takeaway is that conflict is good in these circumstances as long as it's dealt with in a healthy way um, and we focus on where the team is going. And setting up things like team purpose and objectives is a really great way to pull through it. Other people since, and I don't think it's Tuckman that did it, have then added on things like adjourning or mourning as the team member leaves and reforming because you have a tight team, someone leaves and someone else comes in and they have to, in theory, go right through that storming, norming phase all over again, in theory. But as long as you understand the theory, hopefully you can go through it quite quickly. 
So that's the Tuckman model. I would share that with people because it's a really simple message. And again, if people feel it's okay to have differences, then they're much more likely to trust each other and not react negatively when they arise, meaning the team is more likely to be effective. And then finally, I wanted to share um, Patrick Lencioni's five dysfunctions of a team model. And it's usually depicted as a pyramid. And as usual, I'll put some links on the show notes and I'm, the links will be to just a, a very simple set of PowerPoint, just a few PowerPoints, uh, which you could just use as a baseline if you want some of these slides to actually share with your team if you wanted to run something. So Patrick Lencioni wrote a book called The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. It's one of these books which is a bit of a story to it um, in terms of how it's written, a bit like the Kenneth Blanchard type book. So if you like fables uh, that have a sort of principle in it, then you might enjoy it. But fundamentally, the model, it's a bit like a pyramid model in terms of how it's normally depicted. And it has five levels to it. And he says that there are five areas that if a team doesn't deal with them, it will make them dysfunctional. And the key starting point is trust. So he says, if a team has absence of trust, then it's never going to get off the ground. And obviously, in terms of trusting people, you have trust is built from sharing information, from people being open with each other. So you can see there the links between that and again, I'm saying if you do a personality tool, if you've got a leader who is prepared to admit vulnerabilities, as you get to know people, you can trust them. Obviously, if they act in a trustworthy way. So if you can set people up where they need to learn to trust each other, you give them a few tools, a few exercises which will start to build trust, they get to understand each other better, then you're starting the ground the ground rules if you like around trust. And then what that uh, what I would suggest is quite a useful thing that you could do as part of your exercise is um, get the team to agree what their ground rules are. So what are the principles that they want to operate as their team? So it might be things like uh, listen to each other. It might be things like say if you don't agree with things, but obviously you facilitate it so that these are the things that they say they want as their team and they are setting their own ground rules. What that means is that people hopefully will then live up to those ground rules, point to those ground rules. They're starting as they mean to go on and uh, they're saying what, they're stand, what they stand for. So absence of trust is the foundation. Uh, the next key area of dysfunction is, guess what? Fear of conflict. So conflict comes through all of these um, aspects, doesn't it, in terms of these teams. So if they're frightened of conflict, then basically the team will be dysfunctional. So how can you address that? I've already talked about a number of things. First of all, make sure that people know that conflict is positive. It's a natural, uh, a natural reaction to difference, and it's also a natural part of building a team. And then hopefully within the ground rules, make sure that the people are prepared to speak up and to say their view and the leader or others is prepared to make sure that everybody gets heard. Often where you have a dysfunctional team is where you've got certain people who are the only ones who are ever heard and others don't speak up. And the problem with that is, although they might be quieter individuals, they may not be committed or bought into or they may be um, actually in disagreement, but they don't want to to address it. So it's important for the leader or facilitator to bring out um, views from everybody and for everybody to understand that conflict is okay. 
The third dysfunction is lack of commitment. So actually where people are just a group, they're there because they have to be there, they're not bought into the team's purpose. And it essentially means that as soon as you leave the room, it's, we've been on teams like this, you know, when you come back and the actions never get done. People say they're going to do something and don't follow through on it. So it's lack of commitment and buy-in to each other and to the team. That will make a team dysfunctional. How can you address that? Again, you can help the team define a clear purpose uh, or clear objectives and outcomes. Make sure that the leader of the team has the right skills to, to manage those outcomes and to gain commitment and documentation. So if you have time when you're running this sort of team launch day, I would facilitate what, um, what the team purpose is, what are we here to achieve and help the team decide that and decide, um, get buy-in to it. As with everything about buy-in, you need that person to say it for themselves. So the, the most useful skills are open questions or coaching questions used by a facilitator or the leader saying, so what do you think we should do? Or what is the purpose of our team? Or what's your commitment? Before we leave the room, can everybody tell, let's all share what we're going to commit to doing before we arrive next time. So lack of commitment, you can get commitment from people by asking open questions and testing it out and at least you'll know whether or not they've bought into it because when you ask them what their commitment is, if they don't say it instantly or if they um or look uncomfortable, then you realise that actually there's a lack of commitment and it needs dealing with either as part of the team or maybe as a one-on-one. -on -one. The next level up is avoidance of accountability, which obviously is a natural fallout. If you haven't got commitment, then you're not going to take accountability for your actions. You may start to get a bit of a blame culture, excuses, people don't show up to things. A lot of this is actually a result of the st stage before. So the, the way to address this is by holding people accountable, saying, when are you going to do this? Why haven't you done this? And this does really start stepping into how the leader behaves as opposed to the entire group. So people need to be held accountable. They need to be chased up, need to be you know, asked, do you want to be part of this team if it's a choice, if they are not able to keep their accountability? And then the final dysfunction of a team is inattention to results. And I think this is quite an interesting one because... You could be part of a really nice, friendly, lovely team and you meet up and have tea and biscuits, but you never actually get anything done. And that, again, is where you need someone who's going to focus everybody on what are we here to achieve? What are our commitments? It's about having team goals, team objectives, timeframes, smart objectives at a team level. And that has to be led and driven and motivated and, and worked out as a team if those results are not happening. So hopefully that's quite simple. You can capture all of that and you can see how you could run a really simple workshop, very uh, straightforward, but actually quite useful. And although a lot of this is really quite common sense, not everybody knows it. So if you're able to set a team up for success, you're probably going to really um, help them over the long term in terms of their productivity and their performance. So. Just to summarise, what we covered is I would cover five aspects. If I was trying to run a little team kickoff, I'd do some sort of icebreaker in order to get people sharing information, start that building of trust. I'd do some sort of personality or individual differences tool where people become more aware about themselves and more importantly, share their differences. So setting up that it's okay to have differences. I talk about the Tuckman model, which the key takeaway from that is in order to be a performing team, you've got to go through a number of stages. And one of them is going through the storming conflicts um, phase. And then finally, I talk about 
Lencioni's dysfunctions of a team because if you talk about it up front to people say look this is what we've got to avoid if we want to be a functional team usually when everyone joins a new team they're quite up for it and enthusiastic and it's saying well let's look at what could derail us these this is what stops people from being successful um, and this is what we need to do and you help them therefore to build a team ground rules set a team purpose uh, they could set team objectives as well so that you're literally setting them up for success and then you can step away Two other small points, do make sure that the leader has got the right skills um, and confidence or maybe you might support them separately. And also, sometimes you have, in terms of forming teams, I used to see this quite a lot where I used to work, a lot of the time it's the usual suspects that get selected from teams just because certain people are visible to managers. And those usual suspects, they might be good, but there's two problems with that. One is they may not, um, you know, it's, it's the same people getting the same experience all the time. But the other issue is that they're really busy. And sometimes the problem with this is they can't commit to that team, not because they don't want to, but they actually haven't got the time. So it's probably worth saying, if anyone doesn't feel they should be here or want to be here, better to say now when you're kicking off a team than let people just kind of go along for the ride and be passive and not commit. So I would flag that maybe it is okay for people to go, actually, I'm not right for this team right now and get someone in who can commit. So I hope that was useful to you. Uh, as I said, thank you to Gail for suggesting the topic. A couple of other things just to mention before I finish. Uh, we will be kicking off our first HR uprising mastermind that I'm going to do as a, as a trial. And the idea for this is getting a small group of people together where they can share thoughts, support each other. It's kind of a co-mentoring, but you're going through a program of where we meet once every two weeks virtually, and we would talk through a specific topic. There'd be a little bit of uh, input and we'd also work on a challenge for each other. So it's a sort of group coaching masterminding that we're going to go through. I have got a few people who've already expressed interest from when I've mentioned it on previous podcasts. Uh, if you would like to take part in the inaugural version of this, then please download, if you can go to the show notes, hruprising.com. We'll put a link to the overview of it and also the nomination process. There's certain things you need to be able to do, commit to uh, in terms of being available for it, a bit like the team piece, actually. It's exactly like setting up a positive team, funnily enough. Uh, if you want to be part of a small group of people as a mastermind, you need to be able to commit to like 80% of the sessions. So that's one thing if you're interested in collaborating, this is us, us kicking off our collaboration. And then the second thing I'll be running, probably April. Uh, some of you may know that I've written a book called How to Be a Change Superhero, uh, which is very exciting. Um, I recommend uh, Alison Jones's book writing course, it kicked it off for me. And it's being launched in May. And I'm going to be running some open workshops, one day sessions for aimed at people professionals uh, for how to manage change basically. So if you're interested in that, I'll be running some pilots uh, in April. So yeah, do download that and, and take a look if it's something you're interested in. So enough plugs. Thanks so much for listening to the HR Uprising. If you enjoy what we're doing, do let us know. Really, really grateful for people who have taken the time to give us a bit of feedback um, on the on your podcast choice like you know on iTunes etc it's really great because it actually helps us get found um, and do nominate uh, any speakers or masterclasses that you want to hear or people that you think should take part in it 
Thanks again. Thank you for listening to the HR Uprising podcast. You can access more information, including resources or links mentioned in the show at our website, www.hruprising.com. Also, you might want to join our LinkedIn community or tweet to us at HR Uprising. We'd love to hear from you.